Uh, that is the best definition of one hot mess ever. Oh, so good. I'm Rach, Rachel Ray, and you're listening to Cook Tracks. It's a brand new, super cool way to cook. Each episode will be right alongside you. Well, kind of, we'll be in your ear, taking you step-by-step through a dish or a meal in real time. We'll be adding a little pinch of tips, tricks, and fun stories to keep you guys entertained and up your cooking game. Needless to say, we've got your back in the kitchen. I mean it, guys. You literally don't have to worry about a thing. I'm going to keep you on track with my buddy, Cappy. Think of him as our kind of play-by-play announcer for the cook-along. And since not all stoves are created equal, boy, do I know that. If you guys get a little caught up, just hit pause. You don't have to read a recipe, and it isn't rocket science. This is not something you're supposed to take seriously. We want you guys to have fun. Follow along, and at the end of each episode, we'll have made a dish or a meal from start to finish together. Gather up your ingredients, pour yourself a drink or a cup of tea, and turn your volume up to 11. This is Cook Tracks. For this episode, you're stuck with me, and I can't wait for you to make this dish. Let's talk prep work. You can keep on listening to this episode, but if you go to your episode notes on your device or cooktracks.com, you'll find the ingredients and equipment list that you need to cook along with us. Everybody ready to rock the kitchen? I'm going to head on off and meet up with Kathy. Let's do this. All right, let's rock it out. We're here in your kitchen. What are we making? Well, more importantly, before we start making anything, Cappy, is what am I pouring? We are making a traditional, the simplest, uh, maybe the simplest Italian pasta I know. It's a traditional Tuscan dish. We're making peachy, which is basically fat spaghetti. Peachy. Al, A-L-L, apostrophe, alione, with garlic sauce, a garlic tomato sauce, Okay. So the first thing we do is pour a glass of wine. Cheers. Yes, cheers. <laughs> this wine's actually from Piedmont, but my favorite Tuscan wines are, of course, uh, Rosso di Montalcino and Brunello Montalcino because I was married in Montalcino. Yay, this Yay. wine doesn't suck either. Um, uh, but Montepulciano is where I do a lot of cooking too. Um, I love Tuscany for many reasons, but... What I love about Tuscan food specifically is that it's simplicity. There's ex- very few, really refined, very few ingredients of cooking, but the style of cooking is rustic. Got it. So the flavor tastes sophisticated and delightful and really clean and unique, but the cooking style is very rustic and there's always very, very few ingredients. In this dish, you're literally looking at all of the ingredients. Garlic. You can't make garlic sauce without garlic. It's garlic tomato sauce, cherry tomatoes that we've given a rinse. I bought them on the vine. They tend to be more sugary. Mm. Uh, They're a little bit pricier, though. And you are going to cook them down, so that will intensify their sugar content regardless. So uh, about two quarts, I'd say, or about uh, eight cups of cherry tomatoes per uh, one pound or half kilo of peachy. To add to our garlic, you're going to use a whole bulb of garlic or seven or eight fat cloves. I peel my garlic when I bring it home from the store, so I already have a copious amount of it on hand. A few leaves of torn basil, so I have my basil. Butter and good olive oil, and the pasta itself. 
That's it. And salt, of course. And these days you can find mostly any ingredient anywhere, but if you can't get your hands on peachy substitute? I would order it online. There's a million places you can you just Google it. Sure. Um, there's a, t- a ton of Italian uh, importers that ship. It's usually free shipping. And I buy, you know, a bunch of different specialty pastas and just stock up the pantry once every three or four months. But a good solution for peachy, if you want to make it tonight, or you just don't want to be bothered with going online, of course, any fat spaghetti. How about bucatini? How about that? (laughs) Uh, Bucatini is fine. It's hollow in the middle. It's a much quicker cooking time. If you are making proper peachy, it's very dense and it is not hollow. It will take 20 to 22 minutes legitimately for it to cook. So anytime we're cooking pasta, the first thing we do is put a large pot of water on to boil. By large, I mean per pound, five to six quarts. Bring it to a full rolling boil before you salt it. Why do we salt the water? To flavor the pasta itself. Why do we wait till it boils? So the salt doesn't sink and scar the pot. If tip, you, tip, tip, and tip, tip. Tip, tip, and tip. I use kosher salt. You can use coarse sea salt. That's fine as well. The coarser the salt, the bigger the mark it will make in your pot. So that's why we wait till the water's boiling. We're seasoning the water because it not only flavors the pasta, but we're gonna use the water to marry the pasta to the sauce. We do that with anything. Imperative with something like a cold sauce, like a trapanese, like a tomato uh, Sicilian style pesto or traditional pesto, uh, Ligurian, you know, uh, pesto genovese. Uh, But you really should do it with pretty much everything. Aliolio, which is just garlic and oil, any red sauce, I always save the water right before you drain. We're talking about the cooking of dried pasta now. Got it. Not fresh. Right. Fresh pasta cooks very quickly and you can cook it in less. There are recipes where you cook pasta in very little water. They're very specific, but the general rule, one pound or half kilo, which is just over a pound, to five to six quarts. Full rolling boil, uh, generously seasoned, and then drop the pasta. And I always recommend, if you're not used to cooking pastas, Always cook the pasta one minute less than the package recommends for al dente or to the tooth, to the bite, because it will have carryover cooking when you're marrying, when you're doing that marriage of the sauce to the pasta. It's going to continue to cook. Correct. It's going to continue its process. So you don't want to take it when it's perfect or it'll be past perfect when you serve it. Got it. Okay. So this is that type of dish where it's like pretty easy, straightforward, good. It's about Clean, freshing. Exactly. It's not about how many layers of flavor you can put into something. It's about using the best quality ingredients you can buy, the best butter, the best olive oil, really good fresh garlic, really good cherry tomatoes. Don't put them in the fridge. It's about the handling and manipulation of the ingredients. And once you learn these tips and techniques throughout this episode, you will be able to apply them to a hundred other pasta dishes to make them that much better. Also in Italy, pasta is not usually eaten as the main course. It's eaten as a small course and usually at lunch, earlier in the day, and at dinner in very small portions. It's primi piatti, the first course. That doesn't keep us from eating it for dinner a lot. Whenever, you know, Sunday is not Sunday for John without a giant, like a literally like- <laughs> Platter pasta, of pasta. Right, giant yeah. platter of pasta. But this is one that no matter how many complicated sauces, you know, like a chingale sauce that's slow cooking and marinates for a day, and then it goes through the slow cooking process, and then you chill it another day, and then you skim it, and then you serve it. I can work really hard on chingale, which is wild boar meat sauce, hand cut and handled when I'm in Tuscany cooking. And I can make this for the vegetarians 
and eight out of ten people will prefer this. Right. And it, it takes nothing. Yeah. It's Zero like it's energy. like if you go to a party and they're like, oh, that food's for the kids over there, chicken <laughs> yeah. fingers, and like all the adults. And that's are what everybody wants. Yeah. Right. So everybody wants. Okay, uh, so we're here in your home kitchen. This is my teeny tiny New York City apartment kitchen. Yeah. So what's like what's what's the first thing we do for this dish? The first thing we did was gather the ingredients. Like if you have ever seen me on television. That's the, the number one thing. Your garbage bowl is out. I poured my wine, or you can pour a cup of tea if you prefer, and you gather your ingredients. So I have my butter, I have my garlic, I have my basil, I have my tomatoes, I have my peachy. I have the olive oil and the salt by the stove. The water's coming up to a boil. I have a bowl to put the cut tomatoes in, and I have my washed tomatoes. And if so you now I'm ready to cook. Right, and if you don't have any of these ingredients or your water's not to a boil, hit pause, you're good, and then come back and join us. Correct. So now we're going to move on to the processing of all of our ingredients. And each one of these things has a fun little twister trick to it. What are these, Kathy? Deli lids. Deli now, container lids, like you would find deli on a salad bar at a grocery store. A lot of us save them, right? We bring home different containers of stuff and we save and wash the containers, right? Well, a really cool use for them is to fill them with cherry tomatoes. Both lids should be facing up. You fill the indentation in the bottom lid with small tomatoes. This is such a good tip. It never gets old. And you put a lid on top. And if you need to see a picture of it. And you cut it across. Check out the website. With a good sharp knife. This will not work if your knife is too dull to cut butter. So keep a good sharp knife, okay? So you have those eight cups of cherry tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Rachel uses them on the vine. She's slicing them using that deli container trick. If yours are already sliced. And it'll hold about eight to 10 each yeah. time. So it really cuts down on the time. Because normally you would be chasing this around with a little paring knife and going one at a time. And when you're going through so many tomatoes, like that eats up the clock, you know what I mean? It's just pretty brilliant. So if you have already sliced your tomatoes, you can fast forward a bit. If you haven't, hang tight. I have to tell you, we tried to out-engineer this years ago. The folks who I work with to create products for the kitchen. We tried to out-engineer this, and you can't. Like, making this smarter and easier doesn't exist. No. Just go get the two deli lids. Yeah. Just go buy two buckets of olives and save them. Yeah. That's all just save the Or if you lids. take two, <laughs> two deli lids off the container at the grocery store, you probably will get a weird look, but you know you what you You can ask them for. to pay for them. You yeah. don't have to steal them, Kathy. I'll offer them a nickel. <laughs> all right. See, done. Tomato like, slice. If I had done that, that like with minutes. a little tiny paring knife, it, it and we were talking, like yeah. I wasn't even trying to go fast. So now we're ready to slice the garlic. And this is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> One more good fat clove and I say we're good to go. If you don't like garlic, you shouldn't be listening to this. No, I'm just kidding. We are not browning garlic in any way, shape or form in this dish. We are keeping the heat extremely low this pan is on the absolute lowest setting. I turned it on low, 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 as low as the pan goes, so okay? A big, big skillet. A, low, a low, big low. skillet with a lid. I don't even use a skillet when I'm in Italy. I use my cast iron pots, but I thought for the purposes of this, it's easier for you to take pictures and see the stages if I use a, a wide open skillet. This is my five quart skillet with a lid. You need a pot with a lid. If I were cooking in Italy, I would simply use a cast iron or a stainless pot. 
Okay. You know, a sauce pot. Sure. A big, deep, I'm going to make a pot of sauce pot. Okay. <laughs> but we are working over low heat to start. Very low heat. So we're taking good olive oil, the stuff you don't normally cook with. Because we're working with low heat, we can do that. Mm. We can take EVOO, literally, and coat the bottom of the pan with it. Okay? It's three or four really fat, slow turns of the pan. You want to coat the entire bottom of the surface you're cooking on with a thin layer of olive oil. Got it. Okay? Slow turns of the pan. Now we're going to add butter to the olive oil. So we really need to keep this temperature low so we don't brown the solids in the butter Mm -hmm. and we don't bitter our olive oil. So we're melting this one into the other. The oil has a slightly higher cooking temperature than the butter. So we're putting this sweet sugary butter into the oil and melting it. Incidentally, this is Italian butter. It is salted, not unsalted. This is butter from Parma, where they make Parmigiano-Reggiano from the same cows. Any good butter, of sure. course. But I always buy salted butter because Jacques Pepin told me he does. And now I only buy and salted butter. And now I only buy salted butter because he told me to. <laughs> so is the, the the purpose of the butter in this, di- is, it, is it more for flavor? I mean, you need the fat. Sugar and, and, okay. and the fat content. And it makes, it brings out the sweetness in the tomatoes. It's it. a very sweet sauce. Okay. Super sweet sauce. Okay. If you want to... natural sweetness. You're not adding... Natural sweetness. There's no sugar in this. Uh, Obviously. No no need for that. Um, If you want to add a little heat, and I'm glad you said that, you can add a half of a small chili. A red chili, preferably, but green is fine. Uh, Half of a small fresh chili or a pinch of chili flake. You don't add black pepper to this sauce. You only add salt. No black pepper is ever used in this sauce. If you want it to be spicier, if you like a little heat... Put in half of a small chili. Okay. Period. And so you use your bench scraper. I use scraper. a bench scrape. Mine is called the food mover. It's a bench scrape with sides to hold more ingredients. I use the bench scrape to scrape my work surface, which is a very large cutting board. In my case, it's the entire countertop is covered with butcher block. And I use that to move that whole bulb of garlic, seven or eight cloves are very thinly look how look it's so shaped yeah. so thin so garlic is added to the pan of oil with and butter. the butter and the olive oil a couple fat tablespoons of butter and an even coating on the bottom of the pan of good fruity olive oil and now we're just swirling see how we're just keeping this moving very low take a picture of this it's barely bubbling nothing is browning it's barely moving it's just gently melting, mushing all together. This is my childhood memory smell right now. Mm. Like when I was in my room and my mom was cooking that, like that melted butter, oil, garlic. That's it's it's magic. Your mom is an excellent cook. I love her. You know, I don't eat sweets at all. I love your mother's rugla. Not that you give it to me th- until three months after Christmas every year. That was a year. mistake. Yeah. Uh, what did I come in here for, Cappy? Oh, the little chili pepper. I have some chili pepper in here. I'm going to add a half a chili just because I like things with a little heat. Yeah. But this is what I'm talking about. Just a little bit of a fresh chili. We'll spice it up without the use of black pepper of any kind. Now, that's just if you want balance. Like, this is delicious as a sugary, lovely thing. Oh, so you just halved uh, a red chili and you just added it A red it finger in. chili, yeah. Half. I just you threw didn't it chop in it up, okay. No, no, no. You're just putting it in there for flavor. Got it. So 
So now we've swirled this, what'd you say, two minutes? Yeah. Okay. And now we're going to add all of our tomatoes. Are you ready? Yep. Here they go. Two quarts of tomato, a lot of tomato. It's a five quart pan. See, it went up the sides halfway. So and now we're putting the lid on. Okay. Now this is important. Now we can turn this up. Got it. Because we're trapping the heat and all the liquid. Okay. So now the tomatoes will give their juice in slump and they'll all of that juice will concentrate and keep the pan wet so the garlic will never singe or burn. Got it. Okay. We should also put in a fat pinch of salt because what does salt do, Cappy? Salt brings out the flavor and ingredients. It also draws out liquid. moisture, yeah. Right. So it'll pull out all of the juice from our tomatoes. So we put that... I two fat pinches of kosher salt in there or fine sea salt, fine sea salt or kosher. And we're going to two good pinches and we're going to turn our heat up between medium and medium high, just over medium. You don't want to go crazy here, but you want to get some good heat trapped in there to slump everybody. So what are you, what are you looking for? The tomatoes will collapse. Okay. This will cook about 20 minutes when it's close to the end, which is the exact time we want to cook our pasta, Got it. right? If you're using peachy. Timing, so, peeps, timing. Timing is perfect. Yeah. So it should take you five minutes to get that in the pan and about 20 minutes to cook the pasta. So it's pretty close to a 30 minute meal considering we're using such long cooking pasta. Now, if you're using bucatini, it'll take much less. I put in just towards the end, once the tomatoes start to break down, a few leaves of torn sweet basil, okay? So now we're going to take the lid off because our pasta water is to a full rolling boil over high heat. We are now going to copiously, like really generously season our water. Should it taste like salt? It should. It should taste like salt water. In goes our peachy. This is half of a kilo, so it's just over one pound. 1.1 pound. And the peachy, as I said, takes about 22 minutes. So you set your little timer or whatever. And we just give it a little nudge every few minutes to loosen up the nest. Peachy, they dry it in nests. So as it cooks down, you loosen up those nests. If you're cooking bucatini, it'll only be about eight minutes, by the by. So sauce is on, starting to come up to a, a little uh, bubble heat. Ooh, yum. You should be, you should, I kind of see bubbles forming on the bottom of that saw, the tomato pan, which is what Correct. you're looking for. You're trying for. to break it down. But make sure it's covered. You have to put a trapping, lid on it. Yeah, put a lid on it. You're, you're trying to keep everything that heat, in there. That flavor. So we have about, call it 20 minutes, at which time now you can... Drink wine! I was going to say clean, but drink <laughs> wine! <laughs> What's there to clean? I just cleaned the one bowl of the tomato. Yeah. There's nothing to clean. This is, this is... Everything was on the counter. What am I cleaning? You're good. Now, if you want to beef this up, literally, yeah. I serve it with sliced steak, tagliata. So sliced boneless steak. So sirloin, uh, ribeye, boneless ribeye, thin cut steak with olive oil, garlic, and rosemary. Again, Tuscan, always simple. Lemon juice when it comes off the grill. Thinly slice it. And I serve it with escarole salad. So escarole, shaved fennel, onion, lemon juice, olive oil, period. Like Tuscan food is so simple. So if you wanted to make this into a proper dinner, I would serve the, the tagliata, the steak, and the escarole salad. 
after the first course or this pasta course, most people will just want to eat an giant bowl of this with a little green salad on the yeah, side. Yeah, I hear that. All right. That's certainly my husband. Sauce is cooking. Pasta is cooking. We have a little under 20 minutes. You know, feed your dog, uh, pour a glass of wine, <laughs> change your kid's diaper. I'm just trying to think, the, what, what else do I do Like while something's sibling away? You take away. twice the time you know? to do that because you've got twins. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So I have a question. Ah, you want to talk about the flourishes? Yeah. Okay. Also on my counter are parsley and mint. Uh, grated pecorino cheese, and some Sicilian pistachio. Uh, or you can use uh, Piedmont hazelnuts, like really good hazelnuts or, or walnuts. I think a fun garnish for this, especially in the summer months, for me, is to serve it with a little very finely chopped grassy parsley and the bright flavor of a little fresh mint. I find it pairs really well with the cheese that everybody likes to serve with this and sprinkle on top or, or mix in when you're marrying it. Uh, pecorino. Pecorino is sheep's milk, super salty, tangy flavor cheese. And the king of all cheeses, Parmigiano-Reggiano, equally delicious with this or any red sauce, of course, is cow's milk and more like buttered, salted nuts in flavor. I think for texture, it's fun to put a little sprinkle of nuts on top. Again, it's a little flourish I do in the summer. In the winter, I don't bother with that. But in the summer, when I have tons of mint, tons of parsley, I like that grassy, fresh brightness that that brings. And I love the tanginess of pecorino. My mom, especially if she's coming to dinner, she likes the texture. She's a big texture freak. She likes walnuts on sliced steak, like cracked cherignola buttery olives and walnuts and anchovy butter if she's going to have a piece of meat. Mm. Actually, she's not eating meat anymore, but when she did eat meat, that's what she liked on <laughs> Back it. in the day. Back in the day. Like, we, we use nuts a lot as garnish just to give texture and crunch yeah. to things. So I think pistachios or hazelnuts on this are, are also lovely. When And the meatiness of peachy, it's got such a bite to it. It's like you know, you really sink your teeth into it. It kind of stands up to putting a little bit of nut on it as well. Like but none of this is traditional. Traditional is what we're doing. Salt, save, tomatoes. Okay, so right. save your hate mail. As she said, yes. none of this, none <laughs> of this <laughs> is traditional. The tradition is just the olive oil, olive oil and butter in, in, in our recipe, and the garlic, lots and lots. And the, the sugary sweet tomatoes and a little basil. That's it. That's funny you mentioned your mom being a freak for like crunchy stuff. Stephanie Eisert, who also has an episode in this series, is also a freak for crunchy I stuff. I adore her. She's great. And everything she makes is like Such a some crush. form of a crunch. So yeah. check out her episode. She's super cool. I, I kind of want to dive into this tomato pot now, but I know I can't. <laughs> But look at how much liquid came out, Cappy. Yeah. It's only been like five minutes. What, seven minutes? Something like that? Look, look at that. The pot is now three quarters full. Like, you have so much more liquid now, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like, wow. And once these break down, then I take the lid off and I let it concentrate. I let it kind of go back down a bit so before would you, I serve it. Could, could you, would you do this with regular sized tomatoes or is the traditional route with these type of tomatoes? 
I prefer it just with the, the, the sugariest, which are the small tomatoes. Certainly, you can make fresh tomato sauces, but their skins are going to separate. They're not as papery as the mm. cherry tomatoes. I would peel them if I was just making a fresh tomato sauce. I would take the time to blanch them in the boiling water, cold shock them, peel them, and chop them. They're just a different product, yeah. you know, and the skins are different. Skins are tough on the larger, the larger the tomato, as you know, the tougher the skin gets. Yeah. So I, I, that's just me. You could do whatever you want. I can't see you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if I'm making it's a fresh a cherry law. tomato sauce, I slump it, I leave the skins on. If I'm making anything larger than that, I peel the tomatoes. I was just thinking about something. Just it's, once today? Yeah, just once. Um, <laughs> I, I just said it's not a law, but it got me thinking. Like, obviously, there's no food laws, and I'm kind of joking. If there was going to be, like, a f- food law, what what would you make a food law? Like, never put cream in carbonara. You know what I mean? Something oh, like that. Oh, never put cream in carbonara, would that be for the, sure. Would that be the thing you made a law? The cardinal. <laughs> there is no such thing. You, now, you can make delicious pastas with cream. Sure. But carbonara should not be one of them. Same thing with risotto. You can make many risotto recipes and include cream. Many seafood risottos especially have cream. But risotto, by by definition, should be creamy because you've developed the short grain rice itself. Because you took the time and the labor to make it creamy with the spinning of the spoon against the round-bottomed pot. The spoon should have a hole in the middle of it to develop the starch in the rice. And that reminds me. We have Rocco Despirito this season, too, who Love may be too. making risotto. Just saying. He's fabulous. Now, again, Rocco may put cream in his, although that would surprise me because he's very he's Italian. Conscious. Yeah, and, and Italian. Um, and, but I'm just saying, to make risotto creamy, by definition, does not require cream. Got it. The recipe may add cream sure. for sugar but content that's not and what richness. But you should have a creamy risotto regardless of whether or not you added that dairy product. Right. Okay, we're about halfway through here. Your, your tomatoes have been simmering, pasta's been cooking about 10 minutes. So we got 10 minutes for you to learn more. All right, why are you obsessed with this dish or an ingredient in this dish right now? Because no matter how hard I work on a sauce, even if it takes me three days to make it, like the chingale, the wire boar sauce that I make every year for our anniversary. Every year for our anniversary, you've been there, many of them. We take a gaggle of kooky people <laughs> to Tuscany, and most of them are musicians or cooks and chefs. So people sing for their supper, literally, and some people help prep the suppers. No matter how elaborate I make dishes, it's always the simplest, tiniest, nothing recipes that people are most in love with. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm obsessed with this dish is that people find it so, like, groundbreaking you know when they make it they're like oh that's so delicious and there's nothing in it and I can do it it's very empowering so I like how it makes people feel when they make it that's really cool that's uh, that's my job is to make people feel good about themselves not about me when they cook but I also love that it, it just makes you scratch your head like no matter how much you try and outthink something or make it bigger better faster stronger the bionic or six million dollar man of a dish it's always going to be things like this that um draw people you know ratatouille uh you know remy cooks ratatouille this simple little vegetable you know eggplant zucchini tomato dish 
um, for Peter O'Toole's character, the, the grumpy old uh, food uh, critic. And it brings him back to his childhood. And it, you know, reinvigorates cuisine in uh, Paris. So I, that, that warms my heart. Mm-hmm. I will always be obsessed with this dish because of its simplicity and what it does for people, how, how much it gives to them. Yeah. You know, that it's a dish that gives back and it takes so little to, to do it. Yeah. It just takes the attention. You're, you're really amazing with your recipes because uh, obviously I, I've cooked tons of your recipes, but I feel like on one side of the spectrum, you do this like incredibly well, the simplicity and drawing out flavors. Mm-hmm because you're all about flavor in a dish, but then on the other side, it's adding an ingredient to, to complement other flavors. Do, does that make sense? Like sometimes you, you'll rattle off a recipe to me and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. She's putting soy sauce in there or whatever. Yeah. And then I make it and I was like, damn, that's delicious. <laughs> well, that's it, why I said it's I, not, I'm not sitting, I don't you know like I mean. trends in food terms because they make they, they make really good points and then they take them away. Like umami, everybody was talking about over and over and over again. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the way I've always cooked. I love anchovy paste. I love side dried tomatoes. I love this. I love that. All the stuff that people were using to get quote unquote umami were tricks and things that I would add in because no one ever told me I couldn't. You know what I mean? I just did it because it tastes good. Yeah. You know, if I wanted a natural salt, I'd add Worcestershire. I'd add anchovy paste. If I wanted to bump up the tomato, I wouldn't just do tomato paste. I'd do sun-dried tomato paste, which harkens back to the recipe we recently also cooked together, the pepperoni pizzaola burgers. I think that people are cooking like that, for sure. They called it umami for a while, and then they stopped, like it's no longer a trend. But I dig that word. It's trying to reach every part of someone's palate. You know my overall food mantra, or it's, it's not really a mantra. It's, it's the idea of being a successful cook to me is having someone taste what you cook and they get that look on their face of a kid who opens a present they really want instead of the socks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they take a bite and they get the, I love this present! Like, yeah. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Like, well, okay, so speaking of that. Like, and you could tell, especially with you, you got the boogly eyes yeah. you like something. Your eyes go, boing! <laughs> totally. 100%. <laughs> boing! Okay, so with that, feel free to give your uh, tomato sauce pot a little shake, stir your noodles if you need I to. I have you been know. shaking this pot every couple of minutes, and now there's so much liquid in it, I'm taking the lid off, I'm turning it down a hair. See, I'm turning it down now to, like, just under medium. So it's, like, it's still at a rapid bubble, but look at all that liquid. Show everybody how much, there's a ton of liquid in there. So we, there's, so now it's been going for about 15 minutes, and, right. and as she said, there's a lot of liquid happening. Tons of liquid. So now we're going to concentrate some of that tomato juice flavor, and now I'm going to take down that heat a bit and add our basil. Basil's a funny thing. In Italy, they got types, just like we have here, and that like the basil that they make, Genovese, pesto from those basil leaves are like sacred tiny they're literally called holy basil and they're little itty bitty super sweet sugary nothing like this in tuscany they're hearty it's cold it's you know up and down terrain hills and valleys of course and their basil's much sturdier very similar to what um you would normally buy here in a grocery store once in a blue moon i see at the green market or sometimes in Garden of Eden here in New York, they, they have the, the fancy basil. 
in which case I bring it home and I make pesto if I'm here in the city. And up in the country, we can buy that variety online of Italian seeds. So we have two types of basil, a little more hardy. You get a longer season, a little more delicate. My grandpa never put a knife to basil that I ever saw in my entire life. Um, There's no need for this sauce to do that. You just gather up your leaves, tear them, throw them in. A handful, small handful. So small handful of basil leaves. Small handful of basil. And you just tear the larger leaves and throw them into the sauce. If you are making a dish where you'd like a basil confetti, the the appearance of a properly sliced uh, herb and a pretty presentation, it literally looks like confetti. All you do is pile the leaves on top of each other and roll them into a log. And then you run your knife with the tip of the knife on the board across. You only put the knife down from the back and you go straight across. And that's how you make a chiffonade. But that's neither here nor there for this. Really, all you got to do is just give it a quick tear. So last few minutes. And melt in. Right. Last couple of minutes. Last few minutes, add the basil to the tomato so sauce. So it really adds something. It kind of diminishes the longer it sits in there, you know? Look at that. It smells incredible. And it's so, it's got just the right amount of liquid now, so now I turned it down even more. I turned it down right down to nothing now. I'm just keeping it hot. My wife is going to love this This dish. is so simple. I mean... Cappy, seriously, could you get easier than this? It's amazing. It, it, and look at that. The best part is you're smelling what we're smelling. But literally, that happens in front of your eyes. It's so fun. And that's what's magic about, about cooking, is it really is like a, a magic trick. Yeah. Like that happened in front of your face in a couple of minutes. So I have a question. We talked about... Um like that feeling you get when someone takes a bite of your food and I get all googly-eyed. <laughs> What's the last thing you made or that you ate at a restaurant that you kind of like stopped in your tracks and you were like, oh. Last night. What'd you make? Lamb and eggplant ragu with egg pappardelle and ricotta salada. Yum. <laughs> my husband and I just kept looking at each other. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a ground lamb sauce with minced eggplant. And uh, egg uh, pasta and that crumbled ricotta salad all over it. And mint? It crazy. Yep, mint. Yep. Pistachio? And it had red vermouth in Ooh, the yum. sauce. So it was like, it went deep. Yeah. <laughs> it was good, man. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. People will never want to cook tracks it with us. I was going to say, yeah. next season. One person living or dead, let's do living, that you have never cooked with that you would love to cook alongside, learning from them or teaching them? I mean, Jacques Pepin's the greatest living chef, and I never thought I'd ever meet him, let alone call him friend. So that's my favorite like living person to cook next to because he's just amazing. He can, he can bone and restuff a chicken in less than seven minutes with a, a, a knife the size of... My ring finger. I've seen him do it. But the next people I want to cook with are always the next people I have a date to cook with. I have a couple friends that I'm supposed to be cooking with tomorrow, but Izzy's back isn't doing so good, so we postponed it. So everything I'm thinking about is cooking with them. Got it. For which one? (laughs) We're about 20 minutes. Oh, good. So we should taste taste our peachy. Taste your pasta. Um, So I just think about the next people I get to cook with. Very close. And 
my friends in Brooklyn, we have a, a fun idea for cooking at their house. We're going to do a kind of a cook-along. Yeah. I'm bringing the margaritas, the gazpacho, and the grilled and chilled shrimp as a snacky poo. And we're going to make a Mexican fiesta, but they're getting all the ingredients, and I'm going to show them how to make the dishes. That's a good trade So it's a cook-along. Yeah. Like it's a really fun idea. Yeah. You know, like, like if that. your friends invite you over, but they don't do a ton of cooking, but you do a ton of cooking, and they want your recipes, they get the goods. Like, I sent them a punch list, and they're going to do that shopping. And I'm going to bring some cocktails to get the ball rolling. Sure. And a little gazpacho. And so everybody's contributing, and everybody's cooking together. I think that the, the lesson to learn is that it's fun to cook in a group, whether you cook every day or you've never cooked in your life. Because it takes the, in a weird way, it takes the pressure off. People think it puts the pressure on, but it doesn't. It, everybody will rib everybody and it'll, it'll remind you that food is supposed to be fun and bring us together instead of being taken so seriously, tearing us apart. It's supposed to be the opposite of that. So I like that whole, what we're doing right now, like that whole vibe of just cooking with other people around makes it fun and conversational. Yeah. You don't take yourself too seriously. Totally. Okay, so now we're going to do this super important part. I'm going to grab a mug. Sauce has been cooking for about 20 minutes and change. Pasta. And we're going to... Same. Reserve some salty, starchy water. There's no exact measurement. Half a mug, okay? The point of waiting is so you get all of the salt and starch from the process of cooking the dry pasta. That water okay? has flavor. Strain in the pasta. Now, if you have a gas-burning stove, especially, before you drain your pasta, what do you do? Turn it off. Turn the flame off. Don't because catch what's that rag on fire. When you take your, I have a mopping, but if you take your pot bits or whatever near to that open flame, you will set yourself on fire. Yeah. <laughs> And you'll never get to eat your delicious peachy. Yeah, and then your wife will say, why does it smell like burnt arm hair? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Never happened, but. Ooh, I forgot to shave my arm hair today. <laughs> Straining the pasta. That was a little more that I needed no, to like know I about burn, you, I like Gabby. burn my arm Look at hair. you, you have no arm hair on the inside. Yeah, I burn it all off. You burned it all off. <laughs> This is digressed. So pasta strained in a colander. Okay, pasta just went in with the sauce. Now, if you do not have a super deep skillet, would you grab that? There was a rogue piece of peachy that went screaming across the room. If you do not have a big deep skillet or pot like this, you can drain the pasta and add part of the sauce to the pasta pot, toss the pasta in the pasta pot. This is an extremely deep skillet. It's a five quart pot, basically. So I can make this happen in the sauce pot, but it doesn't matter. You can marry it in the pasta pot at your house. Do you know what I mean? This is in, in the pan that I made the sauce in. So sauce but equally, you could do it in the sauce that you made the pasta in. I understand you need to be able to toss all of the pasta with all of the sauce. So if, you're, if your pot is big enough that you're cooking the sauce and you want to strain your pasta and add it right to that pot of the tomato sauce, if it's not, strain your pasta, add and it, put back it back to that same pot. And put it back into the empty pasta pot. And then Correct. add your tomato sauce to that. So now I added some of the starchy cooking water 
And now I'm adding pecorino cheese. You don't have to. It's delicious as it is. But most people like to eat this with cheese, grated cheese. So I'm melting that in. I'm emulsifying the cheese into the pasta dish instead of just dumping it on top. We're turning it into the pasta and marrying it with the sauce to the peachy itself. It's almost like glazing the noodles rather than getting clumps of cheese. Correct. You're not just putting cold, lumpy bits of cheese on top of something. You're folding it into the sauce. And as re- I, I just want to remind everybody listening, as you said, you cook your pasta usually a minute before the package says. One minute less so that it continued, because this is called carryover cooking. Right, because right now it looks like there's a decent amount of liquid in this pan, but really that pasta is still absorbing. It's absorbing it. And you want liquid. You want sauce. Who wants to eat a dry bowl of pasta? Right. So over the course of the minute or two you're stirring, those noodles are going to continue to soak They're not noodles. Oh, I They're knew you were going to say that it's to me. pasta. I knew you were going to say that to me. Noodles are egg noodles. <laughs> they are Asian noodles. They, they are lots of things. There's many types uh, of noodles in the world. Fired. This is pasta, and this particular pasta is called peachy. <laughs> peachy. Oh. <laughs> the elbow. Really? The elbow macaronis. I'm going to do, I'm going to double down. Do you see what I did there? Yeah. I put parm in pecorino. Because my husband likes the marriage of the two. We're doing cow's milk and sheep's milk. We're going crazy. Uh, That is the best definition of one hot mess ever. That looks delicious. (laughs) Oh, so good. Now I'm going to do my summer flourish because it's hotter than heck out today. I think it's 88 or 90 right this minute. So, so you're going going to garnishes now. You have your parsley and your mint. Correct, Domingo. Parsley, mint, stacked up a little bit. If you haven't already, give those a little rough chop. Now, this is a flourish. You don't need to do this. It is non-traditional. It's just how I roll. Right. There are very few herbs that I would ever use dried. I think acceptable number one is oregano. And that's probably the only green herb I do go to. I do have some dry time for super duper backup in case of emergency. And over the years... Or Thanksgiving stuffing, perhaps? Oh, you no. still probably use fresh for that. No. I use fresh in bell seasoning, like super ground. Whole tree, yeah, like whole tree. Yeah, bell, bell seasoning, the little yellow box. I do keep ground sage occasionally for certain breadings, but No. And God forbid you ever buy dry basil. Like, you should just be locked up. I think, yeah, I think I got that. <laughs> Waxer once. Dry rosemary would be fine, probably. I could see that. I don't do it, but I could see it. So you got a little extra parsley there. You're storing it in a little uh, resealable bag. Plastic storage yeah. bag. And uh, you just want to keep things dry and clean and ready to use all week long, basically. From the minute they come home to the minute you serve. Oh, look, my husband came out of hiding. I wonder if that's because he wants peachy. He had his ear against the door. Are you ready for some peachy? Please. <laughs> Pleasey, some peachy? Peachy, some peachy. Bleachy, some peachy. Uh, Cap, give me that big bowl over there, please. Yeah. Okay. Do you want these, Rach? Yes, just a moment. Okay. 
Now that is the perfect amount of sauce. It is all absorbed and that is exactly the right amount of sauce. So pasta from the skillet, from the pot, into your serving bowl, your big pasta bowl, your big noodle bowl. Just kidding. Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> Not. Sprinkling those fresh herbs over the top. Mm -hmm. Yum. And a little crunch. How about a little pistachio? There you go, kid. Amazing. There you have it. Peachy al aglione. Did I pronounce it no. right? Damn it. Al aglione. <laughs> Peachy al aglione. Peachy al aglione. Nice Lee. Jewish boy pronouncing it. Yeah. Lee. 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 All right, there you have it. Peachy al aglione. Beautiful. Boys, you gonna try some? Whether you just listened for fun or you cooked right along with us, we wanna thank you. If you did cook a recipe, we wanna see your food. Take a pick and tag it with hashtag CookTracks. You can find more info and keep up to date with us at CookTracks.com. CookTracks is cooked up by Cappy, Ian Cohen, and Charlie Dugiello with editing from Joel Yeaton. Music has been composed by Jeffrey David Goldford. Special thanks to Red Summit Productions. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thanks for listening to CookTracks. We got your back in the kitchen.